0: All right, good morning to everybody once again. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we've got a couple of wayfarers that are back with us. They were up suffering for the Lord in Alaska uh, during this heated time, and they were come right back in the middle of the heat, though. Well, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again today, and you can turn there. We'll uh, spend a couple of moments in prayer, asking the Lord's blessing again on uh, the reading of his word and the teaching of his word this morning. So let's pray together. Father, once again, we pause before you. Lord, as Brother Ray just said, Lord, that you are the one who has made all things. You've created all things. You made them for your good purpose, for your pleasure. So God, as we just come before you this morning, we would pray, Lord, that um, you would grab our hearts, grab our attention. Father, that even as Tom prayed, God, that we would be a people that would not leave our first love. God, that we would continue to love you with a passion because you love us so passionately. And God, as we just study the word this morning, we pray that you would reveal the truths through your spirit. Uh, God, that we would walk out of here a people with greater understanding, but not a people that would just understand, but a people that would do what your word says. We pray that you would encourage us in heart today, Father, Lord, that we would walk out knowing that we serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, to love you, to worship you, to love one another, and we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be at. Now, I'll just say this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a parenthesis here of where we have been, and I wanted to expand quite a bit on spiritual gifts. I spent a lot of time talking about revelatory gifts and confirming gifts, which I believe were kind of seasonal in nature, and we said, hey, there's a little variation here and there that we can live with on those things. The main thing is we will say right now that we do not receive any new wisdom Uh, from the Lord. He's given us all the wisdom that we need, all of the knowledge that we need right in his scriptures today, right? So we would agree with that. We would also say this morning, however, there are gifts that the church has that it should be using within the body of Christ for the purpose of building up, edifying, and encouraging one another as we serve the living Christ. Those gifts would also include being out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that is uh, really desperately floundering, trying to figure out purpose in this life. It is amazing to me that once again we face uh, the, the things that have gone over the last couple of weeks of, of shootings and killings and, and we make a big deal out of that, and yet no one wants to admit what the one issue really is and that it is the issue that man's heart is evil from conception. I, th- I think we've studied that in, in the scriptures over the last couple of weeks out of Genesis. But also I would say this, that you and I have the answer we, we, don't, we don't need, and I'm just going to go out and be a little political here on this, we don't need more gun control, we don't need a whole lot of more, uh, we don't need more uh, uh, self-evaluation as far as like mental health. I think all of those things are important, but what we really need to do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people so that they can get their hearts right, and that is what changes a man and a woman. So I say that just kind of as a background for our spiritual gifts, because it is a time that the church would wake up, that it would use the gifts that she has, that God has given us, and that uh, I just want to focus really on eight different gifts. Now, I've got a lot of territory to cover this morning. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture that you can write down and check me out on later, and certainly you want to do that. You just don't want to take for granted what I tell you. You need to be a Berean as always and study the scriptures yourself as well. Can I get an amen out of that? Now, so this message is really designed to help you to discover and develop and deploy the spiritual gifts God has given you. And we need to remember as we study the scriptures together this morning, that those gifts are to profit the body that is the church. And so we're going to focus this morning on eight gifts that we can say are definitely permanent gifts for the church today. And I will say this, if we just focused on those gifts, that I'm going to talk about this morning, the church would be much healthier if it did that. I, I, I firmly believe that. And we can talk about some of the others later on, and we will. But this morning, let me just kind of expound on these that we find being in several places in the scripture. So I'm going to be a couple of different places. And the first one there is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Uh, and, and and again, 1 Corinthians 12 is the background for this. And you'll remember as we've gone through, we talked about 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, in particular laying out many of the spiritual gifts for the church. But in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, let's just turn over there together and read the scriptures Together there, Ephesians 4 and 11 says this. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... Now we talked about the apostles and prophets and tonight or today we want to speak about evangelists. We're kind of talking about speaking gifts, right? We, we broke this thing down uh, today and we say that there are two categories of gifts that we can deal with that are permanent within the church today, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts are ministering gifts. And so what we're going to cover first are the speaking gifts that the Bible says that are evident for today, need to be used today within the body of Christ. And the one that we find there first, after we come to uh, uh, apostles and prophets, is we come to the gift of evangelism. All right, so let me just say first and foremost that every single believer, all Christians, have the responsibility to evangelize. Let me let me back up again. I'm not sure everybody got that. I said all God's people have the responsibility to evangelize. But not every single Christian is gifted with the gift of evangelism. He calls and gives some a very supernatural ability to evangelize the lost. And that's what we want to talk about. That is what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 is saying. Let me just give you a definition of what an evangelist is or what evangelism is. It is the ability to communicate the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit so that unbelievers can understand it and are persuaded to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Now let me say that again all right it is the ability to communicate the gospel in the power of the holy spirit so that unbelievers can understand it and are persuaded to respond to jesus christ one of the greatest evangelists of our day would be billy graham he was a man who would come in and preach the gospel He was under the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit of God would grab the hearts of men and would convince them of what that man was saying concerning the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will say this, listen, it is not just Billy Graham's out there. There needs to be the gift of an evangelist or evangelism within every single body of Jesus Christ. I was telling Ann this morning as we were driving in, I say, that is one of the gifts that we really would pray and ask the Lord, say, Lord, give us men and women who have this gift, who can go out into our community and share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we see men, women, boys and girls come to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That ought to be one of our prayers. Prayers. That's what we ought to be asking that God would would give us. That's a gift that all of us could gather around. And and by the way, as we were praying two weeks ago, saying, Lord, don't let us be the body, this body here at West Side Baptist, don't let us be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And I will tell you this, that in that praying, the opportunities that I have had over the last couple of weeks has really opened up. And I've been able to sit and talk with people about Christ more in the last few weeks, and it just seems like I was hemmed in for a while. Now, what do I attribute that to? I attribute it to the power of God and God's people praying so that it can get out there and be done. And I'm no evangelist, but I must do the work of an evangelist. But here's this, this one that God says he gifts the church with an evangelist. Philip is the only evangelist that we have in the Bible, that is specifically mentioned. Acts 21 and 8 says that, that tells us that, but a study of Philip's life gives us a good example of methods of evangelism. In other words, sometimes he would be talking one on one, and sometimes he would be talking to the masses. That evangelist is that one who, who is going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be with one person, or five people, or hundreds, or even thousands of people. God give us evangelists. God give us a, that, that heart. And again, this isn't something that, that we choose to do. It's, it's not like you're going to say, oh, I think I am going to be an evangelist. No, it is a supernatural ability that God gives to the church through people, right? Uh, because, I, it, it, number one, if a person, again, An evangelist is not, I think to quote John MacArthur, an evangelist is not a guy with ten suits and ten sermons and goes around preaching the same sermons everywhere he goes. And I will hear these days where we're saying, hey, we're having revival, we're having an evangelist come in, and the evangelist comes in and preaches to God's people. That is not evangelism. Evangelism is going to a lost people and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what evangelism is. And it ought to be the priority of one of our prayers here at Westside. God, raise up, gift us, or or really in this case, God, let those people who you have gifted with that begin to exercise that gift. In other words, begin to use that gift. Someone with this gift Feels compelled to find a way to speak to people about their need of Christ. A true evangelist is just going to have a burden for lost people. An evangelist will have a heart and say, man, I have some way, somehow, I have got to get out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Now, why do we need evangelists in the church? Because, folks, I'm going to tell you what. When I get around people that have a heart's burden for the lost, and I see them get out there and they begin to share Jesus Christ with those around them, it inspires me to be an evangelist myself. It inspires me to have that heart of an evangelist. And even though I may not be that guy that has that gift, it certainly compels me, moves me towards saying, Lord, I want to be one who will share my faith openly and unashamedly with those i around. Around me. That's why we need evangelists. And you say, even in a church our size, Pastor? Yes, absolutely, even more so. And you say, why? Well, look to your left and your right. We got a lot of pews that we could fill up. Right? There's a lot of people that we need to bring in and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and say, not only do you need to know that you are a sinner lost but you need to be a part of a body that will love you. Part of a body that will become your family, that will be there to fill the gaps for you. A person with this gift is known by the effectiveness of his or her ministry. In other words, you're going to see them out doing the work, and you will also see souls saved. It's it's evident by what they do. Now, this is something different that I think that we all need. If you have this gift, there is a danger to be avoided. If you are gifted as an evangelist, and you say, surely not, Pastor. Yes, there is something. In every spiritual gift, there's an area that we need to be careful of. And the area that an evangelist needs to be careful of is this. That evangelist must not expect all believers to have the same burden and drive to reach the lost. You see, that one who's gifted as an evangelist, they live eat and breathe with the desire to be out winning people to Jesus Christ. That is what God has called them to do. Is what he has gifted them to do. And the danger is, is that sometimes those with the gift of evangelism will expect everybody to have the exact same burden as they do. And they need to be careful of that. Again, every single one of us should evangelize. Again, every single one of us should have the burden to evangelize. But not every one of us are gonna live, eat, and breathe that. And so that evangelist, he's gotta be careful that he doesn't put that on everybody else as a burden that he's carrying, that a burden that they may not necessarily carry. Here's how he can kinda govern that, rule that. This gift is governed by understanding God's grace. That's what stirs, that's what controls the evangelist. You see, the evangelist needs to understand, let me just give you some scripture. We don't have time to go into them all this morning, but John 6, 44, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. And by the way, if you don't get all this, you you can... Catch it online uh, on our website, or you can get Brother Jay, and, and he can he can make you a copy. And I would, matter of fact, I would encourage you to do that very thing to go back and listen to this again, because you're not going to get it all in one setting but it's governed by grace, understanding this, sometimes it, it would be easy, and pride is always something easy to come up with. I, I've run in uh, to guys in the past, and you know, the, they, you know, uh, you know, they'll start to talk about how many people they want to cry, so they say, well, listen, here, here's the deal, and, and the Bible says it's wise to be a, a, a winner of souls. But when it comes down to it, the evangelist is simply the mouthpiece of God, and God does the work of regeneration in the heart. And so whether it's one person or a thousand people, he still gives the glory and credit to God Almighty, not on his ability, because if he's a true evangelist, that ability is God-given and supernaturally energized by the Holy Spirit. Second gift, another speaking gift. It is the gift of teaching, and we find that in Romans chapter 12, and verse 7. You can, leave your, you can leave your ribbon back in in Ephesians 4 cuz we'll be back there here in a little bit but if we go to Romans chapter 12 verse 7 we talk about the next speaking gift which is the gift of teaching verse 7 says this or our ministry let us wait if our ministry on ministering and here it is or he that teacheth on teaching it is a spiritual gift that God gives to the church and specifically will give people the ability to teach the word of God. Let me give you just a definition of what teaching is. Teaching is the ability in the Holy Spirit to explain the meaning of God's truth to others so that there is an understanding and an application of the truth. He is able to take the Word of God and explain the Word of God so that they can make application of the Word of God in their lives. It is a supernatural ability. The emphasis of this gift is more systematic teaching or training rather than a one-time proclaiming of Christ. In in other words, the evangelist can come in and he can share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very powerful way, motivated, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the teacher will come in and then in a very systematic way, he will teach precept upon precept and make application of that in every believer's life. Now an example of that is out of exodus chapter 12 and i think you guys may remember you may not remember when i went back and taught just on uh just going on precept on precept and if you'll go back and study that chapter it's where we start with a lamb and god says that it is a lamb that is going to be needed for a sacrifice and then it comes down and he says and it is not just a lamb but the lamb not just a, any old lamb will do it's got to be a specific lamb and then he finally gets down on that chapter and he says, not only is it just an a lamb and the lamb, he must be your lamb. Very systematic, saying not only this, and here's the thing, it can be, you can know about Jesus Christ that he is a Savior, but you've got to move to the point beyond knowing that Jesus Christ is just a Savior, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's not just a lamb, he is the Lamb of God. And it is not just enough to know that He is the Lamb of God. You must come to a point in your life to where He becomes your Lamb. He must become your Savior. You simply just knowing about Him is not good enough. Now the Bible teacher will take and explain those things and begin to make application in a very systematic manner. God gifts some within the church that they're able to do that and for the purpose, again, building up the body of Christ so that they are strengthened. His curriculum is the Bible. That's where he studies from. Hey, I'm all for study books. That's good. We were sitting in our, in our Sunday school class this morning, and I was encouraging our folks. I said, read, read what it says in the scripture that we're looking at, and tell me what you see. And then the answer started to come in, just based off of what the scripture says. You see, I said, we can all understand the Bible. God enables all of us to understand it, but we need teachers to help us grab those concepts and make application of those concepts. Does that make sense? Now, again, let me say this. Just as all of us are to evangelize, can I just be so bold as to say all of us should teach. Teach. Not all are called to be teachers and spiritually gifted in that way, but I guarantee that mamas and daddies need to be teaching their kids. Grandmas and grandpas need to be teaching their grandchildren. We as a body of Christ need to be teaching one another. Now, not all may be supernaturally gifted to do that, but they can certainly sit down and it's called discipleship and show somebody else what God has done in their life through the Scriptures. Bible is a curriculum the gift is not simply referring to the amount of education knowledge or understanding a person has but it is his ability to communicate that listen there are a lot of people that know a whole lot more than I do you will run into people that may know a whole lot more than you do but if you're called to be a teacher just because somebody has a great amount of knowledge they may not have the ability to communicate that truth to somebody else And that's the difference between somebody who is called, somebody who is gifted as a teacher. They are able to communicate truth, the word of God, to others. Here are the dangers for a teacher to be aware of. For the teacher, they must guard against becoming proud of their knowledge. You see, the more knowledge you get, it's easy to become puffed up and to try and impress somebody with the amount of knowledge that you have. We have to guard against that. It is something to guard against that they would despise the practical wisdom of uneducated people. Can I tell you what? It's not the education that makes a man, but it's the Spirit of God that makes the man or woman. You can have the greatest degree from a seminary, and if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not under the influence of the Spirit of God, then there's not much there. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of men, a lot of women, who may not have a great education, but they stayed in the Word, and they're supernaturally gifted and able to convey what the Word of God says. It does not depend on human reasoning. Something to guard against relying completely on what others have written. Hey, I read a lot of commentaries. But ultimately, what it comes down to, and Truman, you would agree with me on this, it comes down to this, is a man must, woman who is a gifted teacher, they must get in the Word of God. They must prayerfully seek out what the Word says. It's okay to read what somebody else says. Yeah, but the best best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It's a self-defining book. giving information the lacks practical application. it's got to get guard against that. Again, uh, I think Ann says something one time, it's very easy to become an educated derelict. That we have all the education in the world. We're full of God's wisdom and knowledge from the Word of God, and yet we don't even know how to practically apply it to our own lives. The teacher must be able to apply that. He must be able to tell others how to apply that to their lives. How does he govern this gift? He governs the gift with service. In other words, the teacher who has been gifted by God to teach the word of God must see the reason that he teaches or she teaches is to serve others for the purpose of building them up. Building them up by them means this, not puffing them up, That's right. helping them become mature believers in Jesus Christ. Here's something a teacher's got to do sometimes too. Get out and get your hands dirty. Sometimes it's too easy to become sitting in the ivory tower and not getting out and just doing some good old work. Amen? By the way, I think I know I think I know where our TVs went. Brother William saw some of our bandits going in and out of the old youth building. Pretty sure they were bandits. They had masks on. (laughs) Middle of the day, shimmying up down a pole over there, three of them, raccoons. (laughs) We haven't gone over there to check, but there may be three TVs that they're watching, three raccoons, three TVs. But I said that getting your hands dirty because I'd just say that the brother just sent me a picture of the raccoons and then out there getting his hands dirty fixing the hole that they were in. Sometimes when we teach we just need to remember practical application and getting our hands dirty ourselves. Third, pastor teacher. Gonna have to move along, pastor teacher. That is found in Ephesians 4 and 11. You will see there that it talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor and teacher. Really, that should be a hyphen in there. Pastor, teacher is what it talks about because the teacher's already talking here in Romans chapter 12, verse 7. The pastor, teacher, listen, a, 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 as a matter of fact, we don't hear a whole lot about saying that he calls preachers. He calls pastors who are teachers. And we said this, that every pastor must be able to teach, but not all teachers are called to be pastors. But if a guy's going to be a pastor, he has to be able to teach the Word of God. Here's the definition: it is the ability in the Holy Spirit to oversee the flock, to feed the flock, to protect the flock, while equipping the flock for the work of the ministry. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. This gift is usually expressed in a desire to shepherd and is done willingly with an eagerness. That shepherd is this, it is to, again, just go back and look and say, to feed the flock of God, to protect the flock of God, and to equip the flock of God. I'm grateful here at this church that we have men and women who will go out and visit the sick. I am grateful in this church that we have men and women who will go out and visit with the infirmed. One of the things that happens in small churches in particular and even in large churches, for some reason it has just been uh, really kind of almost uh, expected that the pastor become the personal priest of everybody in the church. In other words, that he is living in the home with them at their whim. That is not what a pastor is called to do. He needs to be compassionate. But if he were to spend all of his time in the homes of the congregation, he would never have time to study the Word of God. He would never have time to do the work of an evangelist. And I'm grateful that we have a church that understands that. Now, if somebody's in a hospital and they need a visit, I'm more than willing to be there. If somebody needs a visit in a home, I'm more than willing to come and visit. But I do not have enough time in the day to be in every person's home. It's impossible. And so if you run into folks that think that, explain what the Scripture says to them, okay? Would you do the favor? Do, do that for me. Do that for the next pastor. Because there will be one after me. You understand that, right? Yeah, I got a shelf life. I don't know what the expiration date is. And if you know, don't tell me. <laughs> So this gift is usually expressed in that great desire to shepherd, to look over that flock. It's expressed in a willingness to give diligent study to God's word with a passion to see it obeyed. Can I tell you, as as your pastor, when I get up to preach these messages, I don't preach it just to fill the hour. I don't preach it to get a paycheck i preach it in the hope that there will be a percentage of the congregation who will understand it and then begin to act on it this gift has dangers it has the dangers of lording over the flock first peter chapter five and verse three in other words where it becomes a dictatorship why I'm grateful to have godly men. Truman and I joke with each other constantly about the pastor reverend thing. We don't go with the reverend thing. We go with pastors. I looked at Truman as a pastor. I want you to look to Truman as a pastor. He, he's, he's one of the, in my opinion, he's still one of the pastors of this church. His, his insight is great. Charles just love for the body and What a great pastor's wife. What an inspiration for me as a young man, young, 63. You can say amen. But having deacons like we have and pastors like we have, it helps keep a man from becoming one that would lord over the flock one who would see himself as a dictator that he and he alone is right he must guard that he must also guard from being coming intimidated afraid to speak what the word says or cowed down by power brokers within the body of Christ he must understand that he stands as a representative of almighty god to the congregation that he pastors And it is no place for a timid soul. I would say that pastoring is the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. I've done combat on several different countries. I've worked hard from day in to day out in manual labor. But I can tell you what, the the drain of being a pastor is more than any of those other things. can't become puffed up in his knowledge. He must understand that his gift must be governed by waiting on people. He must understand that he will give an account of his ministry to the Lord. Can I tell you that's a fearful thing? It's a fearful thing to know that one day that the great shepherd Will say, How did you handle my sheep? The gift of exhortation, Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. If you're still there, look at that. It says this Or he that exhorteth on exhortation and he that Giveth, let him do it. Let me just stop with the the exhortation. The word exhortation simply means this, to come alongside of. If somebody has the gift of exhortation, it it is like the, the one compared to the Holy Spirit. He says he is the paraclete. He is that one who comes alongside of another. It is the word used by the Holy Spirit translated comforter. Here's the definition. It is the ability in the spirit to draw close to individuals in time of need, encouraging and persuading them to take courage in the face of something they must do, or assuring them to take comfort because of something that may have happened. It is that person that will come alongside of someone who is hurting in life and encourage them, exhort them to continue in the faith despite what is going on in their life. I am so glad that this church, I will say this, this church is full of people with that gift. I have been encouraged by so many of you. I received one letter, one card in particular. It just made, just, just made my spirit soar. Encouraging me. Encouraging me in heart to stay faithful to hang on. That, that, those are those ones with that gift and, and it can't be underestimated within the body of Christ and it, be, it can be demonstrated in so, so many ways that we don't have time to go into this morning, but it is a gift that must be exercised in the body of Christ. Here are the dangers to be avoided, becoming discouraged by disobedience that one who encourages you to do the right thing when the, right, when the person doesn't do the right thing, it's easy to become discouraged. Don't. Let me exhort you. <laughs> Some of you'll get it later. <laughs> Neglecting proper emphasis on Bible doctrines. Listen, if you're, going to, if you're going to have the gift of exhortation, take the word of God and use it to exhort people's lives. giving counsel before knowing the facts. You see, somebody who exhorts is really giving counsel. They're giving biblical counsel. But the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 13, the one who gives an answer without knowing the facts shows himself to be a fool. Get the facts. Can I tell you what? I've seen a lot of foolish Christians because they start throwing out answers because, before they ever know the facts. Neglecting prayer life and leaning on human wisdom. That's something to be careful of if you have the gift of exhortation. If you're going to be one exhorting others, you better be in the prayer life. You better be on your knees before God and you better not be using human wisdom. Don't pull an Oprah, right? Don't throw out Oprah wisdom, throw out biblical wisdom. By the way, in case you didn't know it, she's not a believer in Jesus Christ. Be careful if you're listening to her. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. That's that part about the pastor not being timid to say what he needs to say. The gift of exhortation needs to be governed by patience. Patience is developed by a life of prayer. If you're going to be exhorting people, you're going to have to be patient. And again, patience is developed in prayer and study of God's word. Serving this, let me, let me hit those. Can we cover this? In, yeah, we're going to have to. Um, yeah, we can do it. Can you all hang in there just a couple more minutes? A couple more minutes in dog ears, seven times, whatever a couple of minutes is. All right, serving gifts. Let me let me run through these very quickly. Ruling gifts, ruling or governments. Romans chapter twelve and verse eight says again, uh, him that, that he that ruleth with diligence, showing uh, mercy. Sometimes we get this wrong idea of ruling, but it just means one that administrates, one that governs. Here's here's a definition of it. It is the ability to see an objective, formalize that objective, and mobilize a group of people and get that objective done. All right? Well, let me just give you a heads. I'm going to plug right now, brother. Uh, we, we are going to be organizing, and I say we very loosely. Uh, there's there's uh, going to have a men's ministry breakfast coming up on October the 5th, I believe from 8 to 10. Give us a little room in there. But it is a time that I, I had a brother come and say, hey, who handles the men's ministry? And I, I prayed about it today, and I said, you do right? Uh, you handle it because you're the one who has the burden for it. Run with it. And, and one who has the gifts of administration and government sees an objective, organizes that, and implements that objective. I, can, I, I said I've seen that in my wife. I've seen that in Kara. I've seen it in many of you they got a, be- a meeting going on here very soon about that uh, with, with our 100-year anniversary. Sometimes this is referred to as a gift of leadership. It means to lead, manage, to have charge of, to oversee, or to rule. Governments means to literally the rudder on a ship. It stirs the ship. So within the body of Christ, in the body of Westside, we need people who will exercise the gifts of administration, the gifts of governments to help stir the church and the right direction to a complete uh, an objective. Does that make sense? That's what that gift does. Two key words to help us understand this gift are direction and decision making. Right? Old Jethro out of the Old Testament, read about him. He has that. Here's what the ruling or the government does not mean. It does not mean being bossy. Right? Because some people will take that and say, well I'm in charge. No you're not. God is. And you need to be open to ideas. Again, it's, it's, it's to assimilate those ideas and put those things in order and then get it executed. have got a new friend of mine, Randy, who's here. He's like me, an NCO. I don't know about you, Brother Randy, but I always found it was a whole lot easier to lead men than to push them. And the reason, the way that we let them and lead them is by example. Is that we never ask somebody to do something that we weren't willing to do ourselves or have not done ourselves or, or we're not in the process of doing. Somebody who has the gift of leadership will have that same attitude. It's not just about pointing and telling them to go. It's about leading them to do those very things. Dangers to avoid Failing to give people explanations and proper praise for their job or performance. Taking over projects that others have. You know, sometimes we need, in the church, we need to let young people make some mistakes. And then come along and coach them once they make those mistakes and saying, you know, let's let's try and do it this way. Man, I'm grateful for some pastors in my life that came along and saying, well, how do you think that went? And I was like, ah, and they go, yeah, you're right. Ah, That's a good answer. Now, Now let me tell you what you should have done but I'll let you walk through that. Being unresponsive to suggestions or appeals, delegating too much work to others. This gift needs to be governed with temperance and diligence. In other words, don't lose heart, don't overact. Serving helps. Romans chapter 12 and 28, Romans chapter 12 and seven i from, pardon me, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Romans chapter 12, 7. Serving helps or the gift of helps, it means to take the burden off somebody else and place it on yourself. Do you know that's a spiritual gift? It, it, it says that that person takes the burden off somebody else and they put it on, they take that. It, it, it's a, the word ministry, that same word is translated deacon meaning servant. It You have the gift of helps. It means you are a servant. It is the ability to bring immediate support and help to someone in performing of a task in order to relieve their burden and responsibilities. Again, I'm thankful for the men that I have in my life in this church who take those responsibilities, who have the gift of helps and take some of that responsibility off my back and carry it for me. This gift must come alongside leadership. Those with this gift have the responsibility of m- implementing what leadership is doing. Did you grab that? So when the church leadership comes up with something, he says, look, here's, here's, if you got that gift, it is taking that gift, running with it, and implementing it. This gift could be used in any possible conceivable way which brings help and supports someone else. Here's the danger. Becoming prideful or resentful. I want to throw this one out there, and, and if I hear a yelp, I'll know where it came from. Accept too many jobs. <laughs> Neglect home responsibilities. you got to guard against those things. It's governed by the gift of developing a spirit of humility and a great verse To set the right standard is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 through 8. Mercy. Mercy is found in Romans 12.8. This gift is exercised towards people who are in need. That is also translated to have mercy upon or have mercy on or have compassion or pity. Here is the definition of the person who has mercy, the gift of mercy. It is the ability to do whatever needs to be done to extend compassion or pity to someone in misery or need. Man, I'm so grateful for people that are merciful. By nature, I am not a merciful person. I I, I tend to be stoic. I tend to be hard. I tend to be, you know, like, suck it up, buttercup, get on with life. And I need people in my life that can show mercy because they teach me how to be more merciful. My sister-in-law is a great, merciful person. I remember, and I've told many times that, that one time she came back, and after I'd come out of Iraq, and, and she says, do you think the war has changed you? And I said, well, I don't know, but you must think I have, or else you wouldn't have asked me that question. And she says, yeah, you don't seem as compassionate as you used to be. And I tried to brush it off, but the fact of the matter was, is that was true. And I needed to have a heart of compassion. I needed to say, it doesn't matter what I've been through, I need to have a heart of compassion. I need to quit looking at the world so stoically and saying, that's just the way it is. And you see, people with the gift of mercy soften our hearts so that we can be soft with others. Does that make sense? The emphasis is not necessarily on giving, but the compassion of the heart. Here's some dangers. Taking up the offense of others who've been hurt. Don't take their offense up. Be merciful to them, right? But don't take up the offense of others. Basing decisions on emotions rather than biblical reasoning. That's a danger for somebody who has the gift of mercy. Look at what the Bible says, not what your heart is saying. Promoting improper affections from the opposite sex. Avoiding and secretly criticizing those who seem to be authoritarians. The merciful person can come along and say, well, the pastor was just way too hard on that. He never should have said that. Careful. Have to keep that in guard. It's letting the heart rule rather than what the Bible says to rule. And again, sometimes, Proverbs 18, 13, giving an answer without knowing the facts and showing yourself to be a fool. Establishing... Possessive friendships with others. Mercy needs to be governed by impartiality. Don't let emotion control your life in this gift. And finally, we'll close with this. And they all said, amen. Giving. The gift of giving. You know, it, it's amazing sometimes that we get in some circles and everybody wants the showy, flashy gifts, which was the problem with the first, the church in Corinthian and Corinth. They wanted the flashy gifts, man. We want those gifts that show and say, well, how about this? How about God? we pray God gives people the gift of giving? Whoa, whoa. Slow the roll, Pastor. I mean, seriously? You want me to give? Well, you may have, by the way, all of these things that we're talking about, all of us should do them. Some are just supernaturally gifted to do them. Some are supernaturally gifted to give. Here's the definition of giving. It is the ability to give your material goods and financial resources with joy and eagerness without any motives that would benefit you. Right? It is that just, just you just run into some people sometimes. I will tell you this. My little brother was one of the most giving people I ever knew. He, you know, whether that was a spiritual gift or not, he certainly, he certainly had that attitude in his life. Just gave, 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 and loved giving. Loved it. Not out of compulsion. He, he just loved to do that. Giving is to be done with simplicity. Simplicity means with singleness, i.e., with a single motive. What am I giving for? I am giving to build up the body of Christ. Here are the dangers. Failing to discern God's prompting for giving. Controlling people or ministries. I had a guy one time that came and you know, was going to give me a bunch of money because I was the pastor. and I said, I don't need the money church gives me a salary and he said oh, I insist and I said can I do anything I want with it and he said absolutely and I said good he was a treasurer I says just I just turned it over and I said put that toward a new copier you see what he was really trying to do He's trying to control the pastor and I said ain't gonna happen bro you put that towards the, you know doing something towards the body of Christ so the person who has that gift they need to they need to be careful because we studied in the scripture last week, I think y'all did in your Sunday school class, we did this week, that the Jeremiah said, the heart is wicked and deceptive above all things. And it can turn our motivations around. Corrupt people by giving too much. Replacing biblical ministry to others, replacing biblical ministry to others instead of giving. Govern this gift by hospitality. Get involved with people. Don't live in an ivory tower. I think one of the things that I love about us taking on missionaries, I, I, I pray that as we continue to do this, you know, it's very easy with a person with the gift of giving is simply write a check, hand it over and say, boop, I'm good. But what we want to do is we want to become intimately involved with those we're giving to develops a compassion or relationship with them. All right, I know I have said a lot and done a lot, but this is one of those hard ones to break up. And again, a whole lot, so you can go back and you can, get the, you can get this on CD or you can listen to it again online, but let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. God, we would pray that you would help us to become a people uh, that would exercise your gifts that you have given us within the body of Christ. We pray this week, oh Lord, that we would be a people who would constantly fall in love with you moment by moment, day by day through the rest of the week. God, help that to be our prayer this week as we pray for one another. And God, we pray too that you would raise up evangelists, teachers, pastors, giving, Lord, serving, mercy, all of the things that we have spoken of today. God, manifest those things in your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.